The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Now we want to talk about Jimmy Carter. Of course, he was elected president in 1976 after Nixon resigned and was pardoned by his successor, Gerald Ford. In many ways, Carter was the complete opposite of Donald Trump. His campaign funding came not from big donors or corporations, but almost completely from public funds provided by the millions of Americans who checked a donation box on their tax returns. Jimmy Carter promoted human rights around the world. He granted amnesty to Vietnam-era draft resistors. He sought to conserve energy and protect wilderness areas. He was a dedicated opponent of racism. He enforced the Voting Rights Act. He named many African Americans to high positions in his administration. No president before Jimmy Carter had appointed more women as cabinet secretaries or judges. There was only one woman who sat on a federal court when Jimmy Carter entered the White House. By the time he left, he had appointed 40 more, including one named Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And yet Jimmy Carter is regarded almost universally as a failure as president, and not just because he lost his reelection campaign to Ronald Reagan. For comment, we turn to Michael Kazin. He's the editor of Dissent Magazine and a contributor to The Nation. He also teaches history at Georgetown University. His most recent book is War Against War, The American Fight for Peace, 1914 to 1918. Michael Kazin, welcome to the program. Uh, Great to be here, John. Well, you wrote in The Nation that Jimmy Carter as president was unlucky. Usually historians on the left have a more theoretical uh, explanation. What, What do you mean unlucky? Well, you know, contingency <laughs> uh, really matters in history. And he took over in the late 1970s when the economy had been racked by stagflation for a couple of years. Uh, there had been a terrible recession, which began in 1973, and the recession was over, but there's still very high unemployment and high inflation at the same time. The Vietnam War had only ended just a year, a little more than a year earlier before he'd been elected. And that was still hanging over the country. There's still bitter divisions about that. Uh, the Democrats were badly divided. There used to be a lot of Southern Democrats, but they didn't like uh, pro-Union Democrats in the North. And I think there was also coming out of the 60s and early 70s a, a sense that big government was the problem, not the solution. And various politicians like Ronald Reagan were beginning to use terms just like that. So Jimmy Carter becomes president uh, at a time when most things were going to be going against him. What he had going for him was the Democrats still had a majority in both halves of Congress. And so it seemed as if he could get some bills passed he wanted passed. So Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. Great opportunity. We missed those days terribly. But you say he was a, a complete failure as a politician. What do you mean? He did get elected president. He got elected president. However, he was ahead in the polls of Gerald Ford, the incumbent by something like 30 points at the beginning of the campaign, and he barely eked out a win. But, you know, he was one of these politicians, uh, Barack Obama, to a certain degree, it was like this, but not as bad, who believed that 
uh, his policies were going to be good, be good politics. That that all he had to do was lay out sensible policies that were going to be good for the American people. And ideology, uh, partisan differences, interest groups, all that would be put aside, uh, and Americans would just flock to agree with him. And that's not how politics works. Also, he was, he was not a party builder. I'm writing a history of the Democratic Party right now, and I'm really interested in, in Democrats, whatever their ideology and politics, who know how to build a party, know how to build an organization, know how to sustain an organization. And he uh, had never really done that, uh, even as governor of Georgia, when the Democrats were had a huge majority there. He didn't really need to build much of a party. But in a more competitive situation, as we had in the late 1970s between the two parties, he wasn't just bad at doing that. He wasn't even interested in doing it. And that was a real failure. Well, let me just defend Jimmy Carter here for a minute. At least in the 1976 primaries, he did something remarkable and something for which we should be honoring him today has been completely forgotten. The big challenge for the Democrats in 1976 was not to pick the candidate who could beat Gerald Ford. As you say, Ford's poll ratings were were terrible. The big challenge for the Democrats in the 1976 primaries was who could beat George Wallace, the former governor of Alabama, who was the personification of Southern white racism, who was running that year in the Democratic primaries and who had had frightening success in recruiting the the white working class, especially in the South, to racist politics in the three previous elections in, in 68 George Wallace ran as a third-party candidate, ended up with 10 million votes, 14% of the total, 45 electoral votes in five deep South states. He won more than any third-party candidate in the last century that year. And when he ran against Jimmy Carter in the Democratic primaries, he still had that history behind him. There were 10 Democrats running in 76, and... Wallace did pretty well in the first primaries, including primaries in the North in Massachusetts. And Florida was really going to be the testing ground because Jimmy Carter was a Southern white running as a populist, sort of a progressive type of populist, uh, running against this racist former governor from the state, one state over. And Carter beat George Wallace in Florida, 35 to 31. This was... 10 points less for Wallace than he'd won in Florida four years earlier. And then Jimmy Carter went on to beat George Wallace in the next two primaries. In fact, Jimmy Carter was the last Democrat, I think, to bring Southern white workers into an electoral alliance with black voters. Certainly it's true. He did knock off Wallace and, and other other Democrats uh, were very thankful to him for doing that. And that probably helped him uh, get the nomination and helped him win Northern votes in later primaries. But well, Bill Clinton, you know, did uh, yeah. put together something of an alliance between white working class and black working class people in the South, in the general election especially. But he certainly is the last Democrat to do that. So it's a real problem for the Democrats, obviously. Uh, the Democrats have become as much of a northern-based party as the uh, Republicans uh, used to be after the Civil War. I do think, however, that there's a possibility of of Democrats putting together a coalition in a lot of the southern states, especially ones like Georgia and, and Texas and Florida, of younger people from all races, black and Latino working class people. And we'll see whether that proves to be a, a winning strategy in Georgia, where 
a very good black candidate. Stacey Abrams is running for governor is right now about two points behind uh, the leading Republican candidate. Well, some of our friends on the left say Jimmy Carter was our best president because he's the only one who did not send American troops into combat overseas. We had four years without war under Jimmy Carter. What do you think of that argument? Well, Bill Clinton didn't you know, send Americans into any prolonged conflict uh, either. And, of course, Barack Obama tried to pull troops out of the conflicts that the uh, U.S. Uh, was in. So I think, you know, that's one criterion. And certainly after just taking power uh, less than two years after the uh, U.S. Uh, had lost uh, finally the war in, in, in Vietnam, it would have been almost impossible for him to send troops in. And, of course, he did some would argue, helped to restart the Cold War, at least uh, uh, a revived Cold War after the Soviets uh, invaded Afghanistan to prop up their client government in Afghanistan. And he was responsible for uh, making relations with uh, the new Iranian government uh, under Khomeini uh, much, much worse than they otherwise, I think, would have been. That's Um, a very nice way of of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Carter we might say, provoked the Iranian hostage crisis, which has yes, destroyed yes. American relations with Iran ever since. Remind us how that happened. Was he just unlucky in that situation? Well, again, he was unlucky as well as uh, clumsy uh, and and stupid in the policy he followed. Uh, very quickly, uh, the Shah of Iran had been put back into power by the Iranian army with the active help of the CIA in 1953 overthrowing a elected president named uh, Mossadegh, Mohammed Mossadegh. And the um, you know, theocrats under Khomeini were sort of national heroes because the Shah was such a modernizing secular figure very close to the United States. And so it was inevitable that once uh, the Shah was overthrown, that the new Iranian government was not going to be all that friendly to the United States. However, Carter made it worse by inviting the Shah to come to the United States for cancer treatment. He was very sick, and he actually ended up dying in the United States. And and this sort of further inflamed the feelings, especially young Iranian revolutionaries who took over the American embassy, uh, held diplomats and other American citizens hostage for, uh, if I remember correctly, close to a year. And, and this became really uh, the last major foreign policy act of Carter's administration which really overshadowed everything else he did uh, abroad, including some you know, things worth praise, like uh, helping to broker a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. And uh, it also made it almost impossible, I think, for him to have a chance to win a re-election. One of the biggest issues of Carter's presidency came when Ted Kennedy proposed a kind of national health uh, plan long before Obamacare. What, what happened with that? Well, Kennedy wanted a plan which would be uh, very close to Medicare for All, a little bit different, but uh, pretty close to that. And and there was a huge amount of support among liberal Democrats and pro-union Democrats for such a plan. But Carter, as a Southern Democrat, was afraid of too much federal power. Uh, he believed at a time of, uh, of uh, looming budget deficits that uh, the country couldn't take on another big entitlement program. And so he opposed it. He, he didn't oppose it outright, but he tried to work out a less expensive, less uh, sweeping program. Kennedy thought that he'd been betrayed. He thought Carter had actually agreed to support his program. And this is one of the things which uh, convinced Kennedy to run against Carter for the 1980 nomination. And that's always a very bad sign for incumbent president when he has a major rival for the nomination. Michael Kazin wrote about Jimmy Carter 
You can read it at thenation.com. Michael, thanks so much for talking with us today. Uh, Happy to do it. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.